You can be opening up your Bibles to Mark chapter 3. We'll be continuing our study there. And, uh, you know, the older I get, it seems like, um, I don't know, young people are not, are just less and less patient, aren't they? You ever get that feeling? The other day I was in the, the drive-thru at McDonald's and I was getting ready to order my meal and this girl pulls up behind me and, uh, I don't know, after about a minute or two, I guess I wasn't ordering fast enough for her. She starts getting on the horn, you know, blowing. And I looked in my mirror, and I could see she was mouthing some pretty nasty words at me, too. So I finally got my order through, and I moved up in the queue, and uh, I went on up to pay. You know, my, my McDonald's has the two windows, so I went up here to pay. And I thought, you know, I should repay her rudeness with some kindness. So I told the cashier that I wanted to pay for her meal, too. So I paid for my meal and her meal, right? Moved on up in the queue, and uh, I guess she went through. The cashier told her that I had paid for her meal. And uh, so in the rearview mirror, I could see her kind of leaning out of her window saying, mouthing the words, thank you. Like, I guess it made a difference. You know, she's saying thank you like that. So then I went on up to the window to get my, my food, and uh, I showed the person my two receipts, and then I took her food too. <laughs> <laughs> and then I hightailed it out of there. <laughs> No, 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 don't get me wrong, I didn't do that. That didn't happen. But sometimes we kind of feel like doing that, don't we? Yes, we do. Especially us older folks, you know, who've been through a little bit, right? All right, well, now that I got your attention, let's begin studying in, our, in the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> For uh, Chapter 3, let's read from verse 31 forward. Then his brothers and his mother came, and standing outside they sent to him, calling him. And a multitude was sitting around him, and they said to him, Look, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. But he answered them, saying, Who is my mother or my brothers? And he looked around in a circle at those who sat about him and said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God is my mother, is my brother, and my sister, and mother. All right. Well, that's an interesting passage, is it not? And I would imagine for the disciples at that time, it was kind of, a, kind of odd to hear, right? I mean, we... We have a one, one of the great, perhaps the greatest blessing in our life, besides outside of what Christ did for us, is to have a, a family, right? A supportive family, a supportive, loving family. A husband and wife who truly love each other. Uh, parents and children who truly support one another, right? I mean, if you don't have your family to support you, it can make it tough to do certain things, right? To, uh, to do things in your job, to do things in school, in your life. And when you do have the supportive family, it makes it even easier to carry through when you're striving for things or when you're struggling, right? Nice to have that. But there is a family that's even greater than this, where love and support is available to everyone. You know, not all of us have that supportive family, right? Many, day, many families today end up in divorce, right? You got people cohabitating before marriage, uh, you got a lot of nasty things going on these days. We hear about it. it seems more and more marriage is just being thrown out the window, right? And uh, families are losing that edge that they give to each and every one of us. But Christ is saying, you do have a family, the family of Christ, the family of God. Not that physical family, but indeed something else. Turn over to uh, the book of Luke, chapter 2, and let's see what he was talking about when he was younger. And you probably remember this passage. Let's look at it real quick. Luke 2, <clears throat> verse 48. It says, So when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you done this to us? 
Look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. And of course, this is when Jesus was back in the temple. They had left, not realizing he was not with them. And he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Of course, but they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. See, Jesus recognized at a young age that he was of the father. He was of a different family. Yes, he had his physical family, a loving family, as far as we know. Joseph and Mary were very good parents, had a wonderful family, supportive. You know, went off into the wilderness and left them. I mean, today they've probably been arrested because they did that. But they realized a little ways down he was gone. And they came back to get him. I'm sure Mary was fraught with fright. You know, what's going to happen here? But Jesus says, I was just being about my family business. What are you talking about? Why did you seek me? So, interesting concept, right? Who are these people that are part of this family? Well, let's look back at Matthew chapter 7 and see what we can find out there. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, and I, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Who is part of his family? Who does Jesus know? Well, those who do the will of the Father. What is that will? Well, of course, to obey the gospel, to Surrender our lives over to him. Make our lives his, right? Deny ourselves and take up our cross and become part of the family of God. We've talked about that many times, right? Of course, you know, that's not something that's easy to do. I mean, you're just going to turn yourself over to God? You're going to turn yourself over to be like Jesus? Hmm. And especially in the world today where you're ridiculed, right? Where you're looked on like you're silly, like you're stupid, you know, for doing that tough to deal with but Jesus says that is where your true family is turn over to Luke chapter 11 let's read something else about that <clears throat> Luke chapter 11 beginning in verse 20 uh, 27 and it happened as he spoke these things that a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast which nursed you talking about his physical mother, saying he's blessed because of his mother, because of his family. Yet verse 8, what does he say? But he said, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Even more blessed than having a mother, even more blessed than being nourished by a loving family, by a loving mother, by a loving family, is obeying the Father, being part of that family of God, that family of heaven. What do we get from that? What, what are the blessings of that family? Well, of course, we have God as our Father. What a wonderful thing. Who hears our prayers, right? Who provides our needs. Who forgives us. And who delivers us from the evil one. What a wonderful blessing that is, right? That's something I'm not sure we take to heart sometimes. I think we kind of, you know, forget about that. We kind of, in our daily lives, you know, we're moving along. We forget the great blessings that we have, you know. The opportunity to go into the throne room and just talk to him at any moment. What a wonderful blessing that is. What else do we have? Well, we have Jesus as our, as our brother, right? We are brethren in the church, in the kingdom. He is reigning in his kingdom. 
but we're also his brother. He becomes our intercessor. He becomes our mediator before God. What a wonderful blessing that is, right? Something that we don't consider perhaps enough. Not only that, we have the Holy Spirit as our helper and our strength who does make intercession for us, Romans 8. Also Romans 8, he enables us to, to live the Christian life, right? And also in Romans 8, who, in, uh, in, uh, who uh, engenders a childlike love in our hearts, right? Jesus said, unless you become like one of these children. We are children, but we are to have that innocent heart, right? That heart that is seeking the truth. A heart that wants to know about our Father, wants to know who He is, and wants to be with our Father, be with our brother, right? Wonderful things. Wonderful blessings we get with that. Turn over to Mark chapter 10. Let's read a passage from Mark chapter 10. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 28. <clears throat> it says, Then Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brother or sister or father or mother or wife or children or land for my sake in the Gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. We have an immense family in the Lord. It's not just our small family. And you may think your family is very big, very large, when you count, you know, all the aunts and uncles and cousins and in-laws. But in the heavenly kingdom, our family is immense. And that's what Jesus is alluding to. If you've left your physical family and your parents and your your uh, material things to follow me, you will be blessed immensely with a wonderful family in heaven. What a wonderful concept, right? We are members of that great family that is on heaven and in heaven and on earth. Every Christian living, dead or alive, is a member of that family that Jesus is talking about. The physical family, you know, our tithes fit on our physical family are severed at death, right? There's no longer around. Yeah, we remember our loved ones. We, we, uh, we honor them. We pay homage to them. We, we love them, what they did for us, our memories. But they're no longer in that family anymore. They've moved on. They've passed on, right? In the heavenly family, it never ends. Jesus' family is the only one that goes on forever. The true family of Jesus is great. Great indeed. And not only that, you're not going to have the things that happen in a physical family, right? It's an everlasting family. You're not going to have divorce. You're not going to have death. You're not going to have evil things that sometimes happen in a household or family. You're not going to have to worry about those things. You're part of that great family that's going to love you and, and, and see about you and have that great fellowship with one another. So becoming an acceptable member of this family uh, is made possible by that wonderful love of God. And that's what Jesus is alluding to here. After that, he moves on, uh, and he's going to talk a little bit again in parables. Uh, parables meaning he can't, well, he's, he's doing this in public. We talked about this a little bit last week. Um, he didn't always find a receptive audience, right? We talked about that many times. Some were listening only to 
try to find an opportunity to accuse him, trying to find an opportunity to trick him, perhaps, trying to find an opportunity to catch him in something, right? And he knew that. And so many times in public, he would speak in parables, telling stories, telling a hypothetical situation, perhaps. Then in private, he would try to talk to his disciples in a way that they would understood, understand this. Main reason, he says, is because they were hard of hearing. Let's read on there in Mark chapter 4. Verse 1, he says, And again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude was gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on the good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But when he was alone, those around him who, with the twelve asked him about this parable. And he said to them, To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But to those who are outside, all things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes in immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure for only for a time. Afterward, when tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble. Now these are the ones sown among thorns. They are the ones who hear the word and the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires of other things entering in choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground. Those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. All right, what do we have here? Well, I know you're all familiar with this parable many you understand it as the parable of the sower perhaps more realistically it's the parable of the four soils right and we're talking about the word the word being seed interesting concept right the word of God being seed that's sown by a sower someone who goes out into the field and is sowing seed just like you do in your backyard when you're throwing out the seed right some falls on the wayside you know on the sidewalk out there in the road some falls on the stone stony ground some there's a bunch of thorns or perhaps you might think of weeds being there in the same sense and then some falls on the good ground right some falls some of it gets eaten by animals i got a mole running through my backyard right now he doesn't need my grass but he puts big old hills in there driving me crazy <clears throat> but it happens things get in the way right it's making an allusion to 
the way people hear that word. Matthew 13 talks about that wayside ground as they don't understand. This is the group that hears the word, but they have hardened their hearts. And Satan steals it away from them, right? They're already kind of blinded, right? Anyways, their hearts are hard. Yeah, they can hear it, but it just kind of, you know, bounces off. It doesn't take root. It just gets blown away. Satan takes it away at the first chance, right? That's what he's talking about there. We have a lot of folks like that, right? You think of the world that way, right? They can hear. They can see what your life is like, but their heart is so hardened that it doesn't make any difference to them. It doesn't make any sense to them to listen and understand and do anything about it. And Jesus says that this is the wayside group, the ones who have the hardness of heart, who uh, are manipulated by Satan. Many today <coughs> love the darkness more than the light, right? We read about that in John 3. Let's go over there and read that real quick and see what he says about that. John chapter 3. <coughs> John chapter 3 and verse, uh, let's begin with 18. He says, he who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, that word, remember, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light. And does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Turn over to chapter 12 there in John. Let's read something else. John chapter 12, verse 42. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. See, these are the people who love the darkness. They love to live a life of vulgarity, I guess you could say. They don't want to hear it. They like the darkness. They don't want to have their deeds shown in the light. They like the praise of men as those who are in the synagogue. Are we like that today? Are we the ones that love the darkness in our lives? Yeah, we might be here at church. We might come on Sunday, but during the rest of the week, are we sulking in the darkness, not wanting people to see the way we live our life? Are you part of that group? Well, then he has the stony ground, right? Those who hear and immediately receive it and, and obey the gospel immediately, right? But that stony ground doesn't allow them to take root, right? They can't put sit down roots in that uh, stony ground. And, and, and so what happens is they face a little trouble. Or maybe they're dealing with a family that doesn't believe and they have to go back to them. Or maybe they're dealing with persecution in their job or at school or their friends. And they're not the cool kid anymore, right? Or they've got some temptation they just can't get past. They have a struggle. And so many of those obey, but they don't last long. That's the ones he's talking about there. The ones who fall on the stony ground. Today many hear the word and receive it with great joy. Decide to obey, but that enthusiasm wanes, doesn't it? Their joy is just emotional. It doesn't take root in the word. There's no foundation. And they fall away. 
Faith is shallow, not grounded in the word. Then you have that thorny ground where he's talking about those who hear and they take root, but then their ability to do things, to bear fruit, gets choked out by the thorns, by the weeds, right? By the cares of the world, by the desires for other things, by the deceitfulness of riches. Is that part of your life? Are you more worried about your stuff than you are the souls of your neighbors? Are you more worried about having enough money to retire on than saving someone's soul? Kind of the things he's talking about here. Those who become Christians and maybe go through the motions even but they really don't produce anything. There's no fruit coming from them because they let other things get in the way. Those are the ones who believe and obey, but then they stagnate. Many become Christians, but they don't do anything. They may participate in the worship, may even lead in the worship, of course. They sit here in the pew every Sunday, right? But spiritually, they're still babes. They're still needing the milk, right? By cares and anxiety, and they let cares and anxieties distract them, and by and by riches they deceive themselves in thinking they can provide for themselves. Now, there's nothing wrong with providing for yourself, right? That's the great American way, is it not? But are you really doing it yourself? Maybe that's what you need to ask yourself sometimes. Yeah, I've I've, I've accumulated this great wealth. I, I can live pretty easy right but what happens when you get cancer what happens when you lose your spouse or what happens when you get in a car wreck and you get sued oh, I forgot to pay my insurance see how quickly that can go away it's from God and if you're losing that side of that first and foremost thing riches don't necessarily help you they're still, you're still vulnerable, right? You still have an opportunity to lose. So the point being is those folks let these things get in their way. And then you have the good ground. And, of course, this is where you want to be, right? Those who hear and accept it and get to work, get busy and bear fruit, right? Matthew says they understand the word in Matthew chapter 13. Luke says they hear the word with a noble heart. And they heart and they keep it and bear fruit with patience. This soul represents those with good hearts who understand and obey the word. Many today will become Christians and have a noble and good heart. They'll make the effort to understand the word. I hope that's what you're doing today. I hope you're listening, not necessarily to me, but to the word. Trying to understand the word, trying to grow in the spirit, trying to be fruitful. Many receive the word and they become good, noble servants because they were on the good ground, because they had a noble heart willing to listen. Kind of like the Bereans. Remember them? Acts 17. They heard Paul preaching and they said, we need to go see about this. We need to make sure what he's telling us is the truth. And they searched the scriptures, did they not? They were more noble. They had a more noble heart, open to hear, willing to take part 
and what they were hearing about. Not just hearing it and letting it fall by the wayside. Paul even connects the two in Colossians when he was talking to the, those in Colossians who had understood and they were likely to bear fruit. The key was having that good and noble heart. And really, if you have a good and noble heart who are willing to put into practice what you're hearing, you're going to bear fruit. You can't help it. It's just like a fruit tree. If the tree is grounded in the ground, got good roots, getting watered regularly, being pruned properly, it's going to bear fruit. It's simple to see, right? Not so easy to practice, I know, but it's part of that process, part of that giving yourself over, part of that wanting to serve in the kingdom, not just being a bystander. God uh, provides the growth, and it's done in stages, right? Not everybody is going to have the same thing. Some 30-fold, some 60, some 100. Some may be giving more according to their ability. In fact, to over to Matthew chapter 5, I mean chapter 25, let's read about that. Chapter 25, verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country. He called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each, according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Kingdom of heaven is like that. Some have five, some have two, some have one. Doesn't mean we're any better or any worse than each other. But we are given gifts from God. Abilities. Talents. To do things. And use in the kingdom to bear fruit. That's what he's getting at here. Whatever our ability, we should try to understand it and exercise it. And if we do that, you're going to see some results. To Mark, Mark chapter 4, let's read on. Verse 21 says, Also he said to them, A lamp brought to be put under a basket or under a bed. Is it not to be set on a lampstand? For there is nothing hidden which will not be revealed, nor has anything been kept secret, but that it should come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. Then he said to them, take heed what you hear. With the same measure you use it, it will be measured to you. And to you who hear, more will be given. For whoever has to him, more will be given. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. This is simply a follow-up to what he's been talking about with the parable of the souls. What we talked about a little bit there with the parable of the talents. He's saying when you have opportunities to hear the word, you need to heed it. Are we aware? Are you aware that you're going to be judged by how you give heed to the word? Right? In the beginning was the word, with God, word was God. Verse 14 of John 1, he became in the flesh and dwelt among men. You have to give heed to that word. Him in the flesh, words in scripture, commands of God. You may hear it. But if you don't give heed to it, you're going to be judged. The blessings we receive, this passage tells us, are proportionate to how we hear. During the ministry of Jesus, obviously he's teaching in parables again. In the parable of the four souls, he illustrated how not all receive the word the same. And it's interesting there how he ends with those with ears 
let him hear. <laughs> what he's saying there is, you need to hear. You need to have an open heart, noble, open heart. And you got ears, listen. Don't put it off. Don't be blinded by it. Don't shut your ears out. Don't close your heart. He goes on to say, that which is hidden is to be made known. Talks about, that gives a rhetorical question about the lamp. He says, is the lamp to be hidden under a shade? No. When you need light, you need to let it go, right? It needs to shine. What he's saying there is, we may be hearing in parables now, but when the time comes, they're going to know all that I have to say. And he's referring to now, but also in the future. He's talking about those who hear need to hear. Those who are hearing will have more given, referring to uh, those who hear and are, have the talents. They're given more because they can do more with what they have. He's also referring to that time when he's going to go on and leave the disciples, the apostles, to take care of business, to continue to preach the things that Jesus has not set out yet. He's illustrating what we know of the parable of the talents. If you go back to Matthew 25, go down to uh, verse 24 and see how he talks about that. <clears throat> he says, verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 24, Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look there, you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given. And he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. Cast an unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Hmm. I always love to read the end of that parable because it sounds pretty ominous, doesn't it? Basically, I'm saying, if you don't use what I gave you, guess where you're going to end up? Outer darkness. We used to play, a, when I played baseball in high school at GAC, we'd have, a, in practice, at the end of practice, we'd have a fun little game, and you'd try to, you know, have guys in the field, and you rotate through the field, and the guy batting, if he made an out, he had to go into outer darkness. You know, and that's what he was referring to. Coach was referring to that using a little scripture. You didn't want to go into outer darkness because that meant you're out of the game. Not that being a Christian is a game. Being a Christian is serious stuff. You have certain gifts and talents that have been given to you. Are you using them? Are you trying to figure out what you can do in the kingdom to help it grow, to be fruitful? There are many things that Jesus told the disciples that he did not tell the public. Many things he still had to kind of feed them milk on, right? Because they couldn't understand it yet. It wasn't going to be until after his ascension until they were given the Holy Spirit that they would understand fully about these things and they were able to preach the full gospel. What was once a mystery has now been revealed. 
We have it all. We have what the disciples and the apostles delivered to us that they received from Jesus Christ and the Spirit. Take heed what you hear. Yeah, you do well. You come here and you do well to be here. But do you really listen to what's being said? Do you take what's being said and apply it in your life? Do you put it to work in your service? Do you study the Word at home or in your study and try to comprehend it and try to understand and pray about it and say, how can I use this? be better service better servant for the lord in the kingdom do you do that that's what we're getting out here that's what jesus point is take heed what you hear because you're going to be judged for it interesting how he uses the principle of measuring and uh, being measured to you there's an old maxim right you get out of something what you put into it never heard that Perhaps when you're coming to church, are, are you really engaged? Are you trying to be part of it? Or are you just trying to sit out there in left field and watch the goings on? And I'm, that's just an example. You know what I mean by that. You get out of something what you put into it. So if you're just hearing the word, you're not taking heed, hmm, perhaps you need to rethink your whole life your life as a Christian think about that family that you're part of that you're not helping that you're not participating in just a thought interesting concept too he says to him who has more will be given you see these blessings come from what we do and the talents we have when we put those into service into work we have more blessings. That's very scriptural. Maybe that sounds a little selfish, but that's what God says. As you're growing, as you're working, as you're giving, as you're doing, as you're producing fruit, you're going to get more to do more and keep doing more. That's a wonderful concept if you think about it. Because who doesn't want to do more? You should. You should want to do more. You should be wanting to produce more fruit every single day. I mean, you're only here for what? Some of us maybe another year. Some of us maybe, maybe 20. <laughs> That's not long, is it? I remember when I was a kid thinking, man, I can't wait till I'm 18 and I can graduate from school. That was 40 years ago. You know, 20 years ain't nothing anymore. It seemed like it was a long time then. Take heed. Get to work. Use your talents. You got them. Don't tell me you don't. You do. That's very scriptural. Read on real quickly. Verse 26 of Mark 4. And he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how, for the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the, heat, then the head, after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts it in the sickle because the harvest has come. This, par this is, parable is only found in Mark's gospel. It, you know, the setting is along the same as the four soils or the mustard seed, right? What it reveals is the kingdom of God. Basically, it describes how the word produces fruit, how the kingdom grows. 
We are the sowers, right? Seed is not identified here, but we know that from the parable of the four soils. The seed is identified as the word of God. Its uh, growth, however, is a mystery. What Jesus is getting at here? Yeah, we are to be the sowers. We are to sow the seed, spread the word, right? But we can't know how that growth is happening. It's a mystery, part of the kingdom. It's something that's gradual, right? It doesn't happen overnight. It takes a little time, step by step. First the blade, then the head, then the full flower, full grain. Interesting concept. The kingdom grows mysteriously, but by virtue of God's word. We compare this with the four soils. Of course, the four soils emphasize the human responsibility that we have to hear and, right, and be involved. But this is talking about God's side of it, uh, the, the part that he plays in the growth of the kingdom, in the growth of a Christian, right? <clears throat> uh, it can indeed save our souls. It is living and powerful and filled with the spirit-giving life. Um, there's two ways, really, to, to utilize this powerful seed that he's talking about here. By receiving it into our hearts for spiritual growth. You know, talking about the growth of the kingdom and God in our lives, we must receive it properly with a good and noble heart. We just talked about that with the four soils. Uh, as babes longing for our mother's milk, we are, are to long for it. Uh, we are to receive it and continue to grow. And, of course, by sowing it far and wide, we're able to help others in the kingdom and thus the kingdom grows because of it growth comes through the divine power it's not anything that we do we're just spreading the word that growth comes from God we don't know how that works exactly it's a mystery but we know it does we've seen it in our lives hopefully probably seen it in some of your family's life if not all perhaps with your children and we've seen it with other Christians right you ever had know somebody pretty well a friend who was living a pretty carnal life and then maybe you converted them maybe they were converted and you saw their life change they weren't cursing every other word right they weren't going out and partying every friday night things change you ever seen that i've seen it it's pretty cool to see you can actually see the difference right that growth occurs mysteriously but you can see it growing but you don't know how Conclusion there would be, you know, we're laborers in the kingdom with God. Uh, results depend on him. Our duty is simply to sow the seed and let God give the increase. All right. We went through several parables today. We'll be continuing with that uh, in our study. Hope you've enjoyed our lesson today. And uh, time is up now. Thanks.